Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, along with the main man himself, Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. It is great to have you with us. It is tournament week. It is finally here. We missed it last season. The tournament is back. It will all be in the state of Indiana, and the uh, brackets are all set, as we saw back on Sunday. Chris, how are you? And uh, tell us a little bit, uh, first of all, about the tournament edition uh, of our product here and uh, how folks can read it. Absolutely. It kind of feels like I'm in a little bit of a fever dream that that we're actually here and we've gotten to the, to, you know, to the tournament again. I, I'm still uh, more in mourning from the loss of last season's tournament. And I, I'm just holding my breath uh, that everything goes. Okay. I think it will. The NCAA has planned for this. And I love the concept of it being in Indiana. We have prepared for it, uh, like few other seasons in blue ribbon <laughs> history. We used to put together a 80 page, printed tournament edition and overnighted it. Uh, that's why bracketology was invented by Joe Lenardi. And to a lesser extent, you know, I was in the car when we talked about it at least. Uh, so we could, you know, write the teams, identify the teams and, and pick them in advance. Uh, uh, so, but uh, a couple of years ago, maybe five or six, we dropped that. It was just really too crazy. Joe had gone on to ESPN and we didn't have him and, it was just such a fine line. So this year uh, we've started a, a new newsletter. Uh, it's on blueribbon.substack.com. And uh, we started a tournament edition. And what's so great about being able to do it online is, is we can, we can be current. Uh, we can look at trends. We had four regional roundups plus probably 20 or 25 other stories, separate stories on teams that we thought were trending or could trend. Uh, like today, we've got stories on uh, Iowa and UC Santa Barbara uh, posting. And yesterday, I thought for the heck of it, I'm going to write an NIT advance. So I wrote <laughs> 2,000 words on the NIT. Man. It's all there. Um, uh, and, and you know, it, it's not much. We used to charge 36 bucks for that tournament edition. And for $7.99 a month or, or $72 for a year, you can get our newsletter uh all year long. And that includes some writing by, by you, good sir. Uh, and of course, all the podcasts, which are free anyway, but they're on the site. And again, it's blueribbon.substack.com. Uh, it's a ton of stuff on the NCAA tournament and even the NIT. Chris, to kind of give a quick overview of the uh, tournament, the number one seeds, Gonzaga in the West with Iowa, the number two. Baylor is number one seed in the South with the second seed, Ohio State. Michigan, number one in the East. Alabama is the number two seed there. And Illinois in the Midwest, the number one seed with Houston, number two. ACC got seven teams. The Big Ten got nine. Big 12 with seven. Pac-12 with five. The SEC got six. Uh, we are, of course, in the middle of SEC country here and just kind of run them down. And this not necessarily in any sort of uh, seating order, just how it looked on the bracket when I wrote all this. Uh, Missouri, the West 9, they'll play Oklahoma. LSU, the East 8 seed against St. Bonaventure. Alabama, the East number 2, as I mentioned, against Iona which Rich Hollenberg has an interesting take on that matchup, so we'll hear in just a little bit. Arkansas, the uh, South number three seed against Colgate. Florida, the seven seed uh, against Virginia Tech. And Tennessee, the Midwest five. They will play Oregon State over in the orange bracket, as I like to call it, because that's where a lot of the orange teams are located, and there are a bunch of them in the tournament this year. Uh, There are replacement teams. If any teams withdraw by Tuesday, Louisville, Colorado State, St. Louis, 
and Ole Miss. Yeah, past champions missing, including Kentucky and Duke. The Wildcats uh, got knocked out by Mississippi State in the SEC tournament in the second round. The Blue Devils pulled out of the ACC tourney. And you've had six officials already sent home out of the 60 who arrived. I guess their hotel room wasn't ready, so they went out to dinner, and then one of them tested positive, and they contract traced the rest of them. And so uh, Ted Valentine, John Higgins, Roger Ayers, among uh, some really well-known refs who won't be part of the tournament now, that's got to stink for those guys. You make your way to Andy, you just go out to eat and, you know, just trying to kill some time until your hotel room's ready. Next thing you know, you're going back home. So uh, it's going to be an interesting deal. They're going to play at some classic venues. Uh, we'll see Hinkle Fieldhouse. We'll see Assembly Hall and Mackey Arena. And then, you know, obviously the different venues around Indianapolis. So kind of looking forward to seeing how all this looks, how it goes. The first four get started on Thursday. Norfolk State against App State. Uh, Wichita State plays Drake. Mount St. Mary's against Texas Southern. And, yes, we have... In the first four, not the final four, the first four, Michigan State against UCLA. Uh, that just uh, underscores what I've said all all year long. This is the n- most insane, crazy college basketball season that any of us uh, have likely ever or will live through. Knock on wood. I hope uh, we never see anything the likes of this again, but. Yeah, uh, that is an incredible you, – you could very well expect to see that as a final. If, if Michigan State uh, gets out of there and, and moves a long way, which, you know, Michigan State beat three top five teams. Yeah, in a they short got hot game. at the end. Yeah, so, I mean, that's incredible that they're in the – really not in the tournament proper. It's basically a play-in game. Chris, we also saw uh, Black Monday for college basketball coaches uh, with some firings of some notable names at power conference schools. Indiana fired Archie Miller. Richard Pitino was gone at Minnesota. Steve Prohm let go at Iowa State. Those are all pretty good jobs. It'll be interesting to see who uh, fills those spots, you know, especially at Indiana where they've just been unable to, to capture the magic a whole lot, uh, you know, through a few coaches uh, since Bobby Knight's been gone. I actually have a list, good sir, that I prepared just for this very podcast. Um, You're going to hear John Beeline's name at all three of those schools probably. I think he makes a lot of sense. Uh, Some people have just matter-of-factly tossed out Nate Oates or Chris Beard uh, for Indiana, but I think Nate Oates and Chris Beard like it where they're at. And, you know, Chris almost won the national title at Texas Tech, and I think Nate Oates can do it. I've got him going to the Final Four at Alabama. Uh, Iowa State, uh, to me, the name that makes the most sense is Darian DeVry the Drake coach. Uh, you know, he'd been at uh, Creighton and, uh, and T.J. Otzelberger is another one. He was on the Iowa State staff for seven years. He's at UNLV, but his 11-14 and 14, uh, record this year might not excite the masses. And it wouldn't be beyond the realm, although he didn't have a great year at Nebraska, to bring back the mayor, Fred Hoiberg, in hmm. Iowa State. Uh, then you hear Beeline there and Thad Mata, who apparently wants to stay retired uh, at Ohio State because his name has been kicked around for some jobs over the years, including a couple of years ago, uh, uh, Georgia, that, that Tom Crean eventually took. Minnesota, the most intriguing name I've heard there is Brian Dutcher from San Diego State because his dad, Jim, coached at Minnesota. Right. Uh, but I think uh, – a couple of names that really make sense to me, uh, Nico Medved from Colorado State. He's from Minneapolis. And Craig Smith from Utah State. He just does a great job everywhere he's been. Uh, I think he'd be a great choice to move up uh, to a power conference school. I'm just thinking about making that move from San Diego to Minneapolis. 
And, I, and I've yeah. been I've been to University of Minnesota. It's a it's a really nice place, but I'm a warm weather guy, and I, and I, I you know I'm a shorts and flip flops kind of person. I, <laughs> I don't I don't know about doing a winter a winter up in the uh, Twin Cities, but that, that's uh, you know of course remember, the, the connection uh, makes a lot of sense. When Tubby Smith took the the Minnesota job, I was texting back and forth with one of his assistants who chose not to go. <laughs> he opted out. <laughs> I said, has he looked at the average snowfall up there? <laughs> I know he likes to play a little golf. I, I think his window for that is like two or three months. And, <laughs> or <know>. weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's I'm definitely a warm weather guy. and It's not an easy job, although, you know, people people don't realize that, that, that aren't in the upper Midwest that Minnesota is a great producer of high school basketball talent. So you can get in there and, and convince the best players in your state to stay, maybe get a couple of key transfers. You know, Richard Pitino did that on occasion. I feel badly for my good buddy, Ed Conroy, uh, the associate head coach up there. Uh, He had been the head coach at the Citadel and Tulane. And I got to know him as a, as a Tennessee assistant. Uh, He is on the move again, but from what I understand, Richard uh, may not be unemployed for long. Uh, I've heard his name mentioned at New Mexico, and surely if, if Ed needed a gig, he might want to go to go down there. Uh, New Mexico is a, a different state, but it's it's way cool. So, uh, yeah. and they love their basketball there, and and they play in, in a great storied arena. So, and the altitude is a is a factor uh, for visiting teams. So. There's a lot to like about that gig, and especially the paycheck it provides. No question about it. Chris, we're going to have uh, some good guests coming up today. Uh, Rich Holleberg from ESPN and Bruce Pascoe, uh, who's covered Arizona for years and covers the Pac-12 for Blue Ribbon, so I have both those guys coming up here shortly. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to a team that's near and dear to me, and that is Belmont. No postseason with 26 wins, not even the NIT, which included some teams with double-figure losses. I'm like they got they could at least find a place for Casey Alexander's team in the NIT. I, I thought that was uh, bad, but uh, you, you kind of knew after the OVC final didn't go their way that the NCAA tournament was probably out after they lost a couple the last week of the season. But you know, going into the last week of the regular season, they were 24 and one, end up 26 and four, and, and that's all. That that doesn't seem right when you you think about the last two seasons for that program. They're going to have zero postseason games for any of it. Uh, it just doesn't seem fair, but. Uh, I, I really thought the NIT was, even though it was cut down, I thought, well, they'll, they'll find a spot for them there, but uh, it didn't happen on Sunday. Yeah, and, you know, if you look at Casey Alexander's track record at Lipscomb, he, he took uh, them to the, what, the final, was it the Final Four or the title the game? The title uh, game, yeah. The title game of the NIT. So, you know, he had a track record. And it's a shame. The the committees usually look at injuries, and Nick Musinski, the the skilled center for Belmont was injured down the stretch and they lost two games on that Kentucky road trip. And yeah, I'm with you. I, I thought Belmont it might be the poster child for getting the shaft this year. Uh, it, it certainly was a team. I, I felt like, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it, it could have gone in and, and won a game or two in, in the, in the, in the big tournament. So I really hate to see that snub, but, all those kids can come back if they want to. I don't think they're the type that would just because they have a year of eligibility or two remaining would go to a power conference school and, and test their skills. I think they like it just where they're at. And Belmont's just a unique little program, as you know, 
with a great field house and a great following and uh, a Hall of Fame former coach if you ever have a question that you need answered. And Casey Alexander has just done a great job replacing a legend like Rick Bird. Chris, our first guest of the day is a guy who's uh, visited our podcast before, and he's awesome. He is a Rich Hollenberg, ESPN play-by-play announcer. Rich, what's going on? How you doing? I am doing great. It's uh, it, As we all know, fellas, it's the best time of year. The Ides of March are upon us, and uh, other than Julius Caesar, I think every college <laughs> basketball fan is psyched. What's the uh, uh, schedule like for you as you, you go forward here? I am in uh, lockdown at this point. Nothing to do with COVID, but uh, I am reintroducing myself to my family. Mm-hmm. We are on spring break vacation, and then uh, I transition into Major League Baseball in less than two weeks now i covered the tampa bay rays during baseball season so uh i'm getting a somewhat well-earned rest now is this a a ski trip is is that what i assume it is except uh dad doesn't ski my my entire family skis our good friends who we travel with they all ski i i just bankroll the operation and enjoy the uh, what they call (laughs) opera ski i'm really good at having a beer on the slopes and watching everybody else fall down sounds like (laughs) good pastime rich when we talked to you earlier in the season you had just come from from sioux falls uh mm-hmm. just a total like spur of the moment gig you said it was great out there uh, they had done everything they could to make it a safe environment how uh, much more often did you go on the road uh this season and, and how uh, how was it having a call from your home office and stuff uh, well, I'll answer your first question first, Chris. Uh, I think at my count, I did a little more than one third of my total number of games this year on the road. So for that, I'm grateful because I remember when the season started and I talked to you guys, I thought that South Dakota trip was basically the only time I was going to be getting on an airplane and seeing live basketball. But fortunately, I was able to you know, squeeze in a few other games as well. Uh, so I did, uh, I mean, I'm ballparking here. I think I did around 30 dates this year and around 12 of them, I want to say were on the road on site. Uh, so for that, I'm lucky because I know there are a lot of guys in my position who were not on the road at all and were living out of their living rooms calling basketball games. And let me tell you it as grateful as I was that we had a season that most everybody stayed safe and out of harm's way. It was Nowhere near the excitement, the passion, uh, you know, insert your favorite adjective for what you experience as college basketball. It was nothing like that. It was challenging technologically wise. It was challenging X's and O's wise. It was challenging all around. But I applaud everybody um, across all the sports networks who have had to do this. ESPN, of course, CBS, um, Fox Sports, you name it. Everybody really kind of pulled off what, at, you know, one year ago was nearly unthinkable. Rich, we wanted to get you, get you on because, uh, as everybody knows, you cover a lot of Big 12 for, uh, for the Worldwide Sports Leader. Uh, so, first of all, how do you think the Big 12 did in terms of bids and seating? And just kind of give us your overall take. You know, <laughs> Here's one of the things, Chris. I wish you could have me on and be like, okay, Rich is an expert, and let's listen to his picks. My picks suck. (laughs) Every year, my picks are horrendous. 
it's it's one of these situations where you're just too close and you can't see the forest through the trees. Mm-hmm. So um, in most situations, and I'm sure we'll get into it uh, in further detail uh, as we go along in our conversation here. In most situations, I am extremely biased towards the Big 12. I've said all year I think they're the best conference in basketball. I know a lot of experts would disagree with me and say the Big 10, and it's not even close. I think just by way of the fact, by virtue of the fact that the Big 12 is a 10-team league and the Big 10 is a 14-team league, Mm -hmm. when you look at percentage-wise, getting 70%, 7 out of 10 of your teams in the Big Dance says something. And I think you re- it's, it's hard. It's almost impossible to say one is better than the other. But what I would say is I think the Big 12 is much more a guard-oriented league, and they have the best guards in the country. And the Big 10 probably has better big men, and they probably have the best big men in the country cumulatively. When you think about Hunter Dixon, uh, Dickinson and Kofi Coburn and, and Luca Garza, obviously, and the list goes on and on. Um, I think the Big 12 did what they should do. I think Oklahoma is a little bit underseeded as an eight seed. I think, um, you know, obviously their struggles down the stretch hurt them. Um, Oklahoma State deserving of a four seed for sure, but they're still young. And this year, fellas, all bets are off. You know, I picked a ton of upsets. I always like picking upsets in the early rounds, and then I end up going with mostly chalk by the time we get yeah. to the Elite Eight and the Final Four. But uh, I think this year, all bets are off. And I have a couple of whoppers in uh, first-round upsets that if I'm right, I'm going to call you and remind you of. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, it's like we never had this conversation. <laughs> we never we never talk about any of this. When you look at this whole group of teams that are in, can you almost make a case for any of these teams to make a run? And is this maybe where Baylor finally breaks through and gets to the Final Four? Um. Well, I mean, it, it, you know, if you want me to not to bury the lead, Kev, I'll say I picked Baylor to win the national championship there. <laughs> so I, I do think that. And obviously that's been a common question throughout uh-huh. the season for all of us. Is Gonzaga better than Baylor? Is Baylor better than Gonzaga? Are we going to get that game finally that everybody has wanted <clears throat> all year long? Excuse me. And I think, again, if you forced me to answer, because Gonzaga is special, there is no doubt. But if you forced me to answer as a basketball traditionalist, I would say give me a better defensive team than a better offensive team. And I think Baylor is a not just a better defensive team. I think they're a much better beats defensive team than Gonzaga. Now, they could compete with Gonzaga offensively, all things being equal. If they're shooting threes like they have all year, best three-point shooting team in the country, I think they are almost as good offensively as the Zags are offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, but defensively, I don't know if it's nearly as close. I think Baylor is significantly better on the defensive end than Gonzaga is. So given that, that's how I make my pick, that I think it will be Gonzaga-Baylor. Uh, I think the world needs that, and I think that we'll get that. I just got back from uh, Stillwater, so here's another recency bias question. Uh, Oklahoma State <laughs> is in the orange bracket out in the Midwest, where, where all the orange teams are. Uh, they play Liberty in their opposite Tennessee and Oregon State. For those who don't know about Kate Cunningham, they might be about to find out. But I can see the Cowboys being maybe a threat to Illinois in that region. How do you see that group? Uh, well, I have them losing to Illinois in the uh, in the Elite Eight. Or, no, no, in the Sweet 16. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think they're going to beat Liberty. I think that's a tough game, though. If you don't know about Liberty the last couple of years, they've been this dangerous mid-major team. 
But I think Oklahoma State is good enough and they're playing good enough at the right time of year that I think they beat Liberty. I think Tennessee, to me, from afar, not as close as you guys, but from afar has been inconsistent this year is a word I would use to describe them. And then, obviously, we don't know what's happened with Fulke. You know, John Fulkerson took that shot, and we're not sure how he's going to be. If he plays, how is he going to play? So with that, I have Oklahoma State beating Tennessee in that 4-5 game when they meet. And then, like I said, I think uh, Illinois looks like they are every bit a Final Four team. And as good as Oklahoma State is, they are still young. And sometimes, you know, this year, the common theme all year has been get old, stay old. And that is one thing that Oklahoma State is not. And it's something that Illinois has a little bit more um, in their corner, a little bit more experience. And what a great matchup that would be, right? Brad Underwood facing the Oklahoma State Cowboys, the team he used to coach. Uh, There are a couple of those. I was, just as a quick aside, fellas, I was absolutely shocked that the committee did not find a way to put Grand Canyon in the same bracket as Baylor. If they had to do it as a 116 or not, I am shocked that we didn't see a Bryce Drew versus Scott Drew matchup in the uh, in the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, you would think they would have tried that, but they claim, and I've talked to so many committee members, that they claim that it's all coincidence. Yeah, I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, exactly. Get the <laughs> shovel out on that answer. Yeah, they think by the rules and such, but uh, you're right, that would have been a good one. Um, let's talk about West Virginia. Um, since we talked to you last, Sheepway left, and they mm-hmm. got better. Uh, what about Hugs? What do you think they can do? Uh, I, I think they could do a lot of damage, and here's why. They are um, a much better offensive team now than they were at the point that we all last got together on a podcast. Um, I forget what the total numbers were, but at some point, I think they were like 10 and four since Oscar Shibwe's departure. And that's essentially the turn of the year, like from January 1st on. So at this point, maybe they're 11 and five or 12 and five, something like that. But they were significantly better wins and losses wise, significantly better offensively. And this isn't just me saying this. I work with Fran Fraschilla a lot. I know he's been on your podcast. He says this could be one of the best offensive teams that Bob Huggins has ever had. And that's going back a long ways. I mean, he's been at West Virginia for over a dozen years already. So I think Miles McBride making his very first appearance in an NCAA tournament is going to be one of those headline grabbers. Like everyone's going to know about Miles McBride when this tournament's over. I have West Virginia go into the Elite Eight. I think, you know, they'll have a, an easy time in the opening round with Moorhead State. Uh, as much as I hate to say it, I think they're going to beat Syracuse, even though I have Syracuse winning in an upset in their first round game. I think they take care of Houston, who has some struggles offensively. And obviously, Houston's as good defensively as anybody in the country. Um, and then I think, like I said earlier, with Illinois going to the Final Four, I think that's going to be a whale of a final of an Elite Eight matchup. But I think Illinois has a little bit too much and could get past uh, can get past West Virginia. But I, I, I think they're going to have a really good tournament. Um, Rich, I've, I've feared all season long for Steve Prohm. He's a good dude. Uh, it, it seemed inevitable that he, he was cut loose. Uh, that's a great job, as we all know. It's, it's, a, it's a heck of a basketball state. 
who do you think is a reasonable fit there? Do, do they bring the mayor back? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I, I didn't get a chance this morning guys to read the statement uh, that Iowa state put out. I think out of respect to Steve, they said they mutually agreed to part ways. I've been in Twitter battles with Cyclone Nation all year long who, listen, we all get it, right? Everyone wants his head. You go oh for the Big 12 this year. It was a miserable year for them. They were hit as hard, if not harder, than any team in college basketball. 357 teams. Harder, as, as hard or harder than any team because of COVID and injuries. They had a team put together this year under normal circumstances that could have competed for the top half of the Big 12. They've got talent. They had Jalen coleman Lands. They had Rashir Bolton. They had a couple of young guys coming in. They had a veteran big man. They had a lot of pieces. And then everything was just obliterated almost from Jump Street for them. So I, of course, I've known Steve since his Murray State days. Um, I have a deep affection for the man because I know the kind of man he is, and I think he's a really talented coach. So my argument to all the Cyclone faithful who early on this season were like, get rid of him, you know, we deserve better. I said, my only question is, who are you going to replace him with? Like, who's going to come in and snap their fingers and turn this program around? As much as I love Ames, Iowa, and Hilton Magic, and Iowa State as as an institution, and I do, I don't think you're, you're, you know, you might be, your, your eyes might be a little bigger than your stomach, so to speak. Like, who are you going to bring in? So, I mean, listen, if, if Fred's available, and I don't know that he is, um, I, I think they're going to have to go with one of these, you know, up-and-coming, young, mid-major coaches, and there are plenty of them out there. Um, I've certainly dealt with a lot of them, but far be it for me, I'm not even going to start throwing out names. A couple of names that were mentioned that I read about make sense to me. Guys like Chris Jans, who's paid his dues and to me is a, a really good, not only a really talented recruiter, <clears throat> but a good X's and O's guys. And I've known Chris since his days at Wichita State. Um, he probably deserves a shot. I don't know if Iowa State is the right position for him or not. Um, so it, it, it always makes me a little skittish to talk about situations like this, but Listen, it's happening in Indiana as well. Everyone's yeah. saying Scott Drew and Chris Beard, and those are going to be the two guys. My question is, it, it, is Indiana a better job than Baylor or Texas Tech right now? Because you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who's going to say that other than the folks who are ponying up $10 million right. to push Archie Miller out the door. All right, Rich, before we let you go, give us your final four picks one more time. All right, so uh, we talked about Illinois. I have Illinois coming out of the uh, Midwest. I like Baylor. Um, I said I like Baylor-Gonzaga in the championship and Baylor to cut down the nets. And the one team we didn't talk about very much in the East bracket, I have the Texas Longhorns going to the Final Four. And sometimes, listen, guys, I fill out my bracket almost as quickly as I can because I don't want to think too much about it. And then all of a sudden I look at my Final Four and I go, Jesus, I have Texas in the Final Four? But I think I think Michigan State's going to win that playing game, and they'll beat Michigan State. I think they're I think Maryland's going to pull off a seven ten upset against UConn, and they're going to beat Maryland, and then they're going to face a Michigan team in the Elite Eight, where all of a sudden they're not going to have Isaiah Livers, and so they are a little bit you know undermanned. As good as Michigan is, and I have 
loved Michigan all year. I think Texas is going to beat Michigan and advance to the final four. And I just need to put this out there because if I'm right, like I said, I'm going to call you about it. You should. I have Kansas losing in the first round to Eastern Washington. That is my major upset of this NCAA tournament. (laughs) Bill, don't kill me for if you hear this, but the whole idea of David McCormick maybe being a little rusty, Jalen Wilson now not available. I I called Eastern Washington's win in the Big Sky Championship, and they have this old-school big man, Tanner Groves, Mm -hmm. who is like the king of the YMCA. And I, I think that they score. They play at a really fast tempo. And I just have a funny feeling like Eastern Washington is going to pull off the mind-blowing upset, at least of the first round of the NCAA tournament. You know what? You got to you got to go for the gusto, man. It's not like you're betting the house on it. So, <laughs> and again, if it doesn't work out, we never talked about any of this. Yeah, who remembers this? That's right. This podcast never happened. That's right. Rich, uh, enjoy your well-deserved vacation. We always appreciate the time. Yeah. Have- All right, Kevin, Chris. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys, and I look forward to doing it again soon. That's Rich Hollenberg, terrific play-by-play voice for ESPN. He calls Big 12 games and knows his stuff when it comes to college hoops. Our next guest uh, has been the Arizona beat writer for many years and also covers Pac-12 basketball for Blue Ribbon. He's excellent at both. He is Bruce Pascoe. Bruce, what's going on? Not much. Thanks for having me. It's calm, no, no, no tournament to cover for me, so it's been a little bit easier this week. <laughs> there you go. We... Um... When we had a an opening a few years ago for the Pac-12, I I just asked around and, and who's the best guy that, that, that's covering the league, and every one of my sources said it was Bruce Pascoe. So <laughs> I kind of held my breath, and, and I don't know, I I can't remember if I called you or emailed you, just hoping you would take the gig, and and you did, and gosh. You've just turned out great work uh, year after year. Um, we have the best Pac-12 coverage thanks to you. So thanks for that. And um, now let's talk about that wax uh, Pac-12 tournament. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> well, I mean, it, well, first of all, just thanks again. And and I will say it's it's been great to write for Blue Ribbon. And, and the feedback I actually get from coaches is really really nice because they actually, you know, you actually kind of get some respect from coaches for, for doing this. So, cause they all read it. So it's really nice, but anyway, but, but the uh, back 12 tournament was, you know, it was um, a, a little, a little surprising the way Oregon state won it, but um, they have a style that's not surprising. They can do that to you. They're actually deceivingly deep. Um, they've got a, a mix of Juco transfers and older guys who aren't really, you know, anybody any has heard of, but they've been around and, 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 um, you know, they're, you know, they're, they've got some, um, you know, some kind of mental strength or whatever you want to call it, just from that experience level. And, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, Arizona not playing the PAC 12 tournament actually resulted in them getting a buy, which I think was also key because they have Oregon state finished sixth. Arizona finished fifth. Uh, normally four teams get a buy in the tournament. And um, what happened here was because Arizona was out, they got the number five. And because Arizona's out, five teams got a bid in, uh, first round buy instead of four. So lo and behold, Oregon State went straight in the first game, played UCLA, a team, uh, you know, that they, that, you know, one of UCLA's strengths is some of the kind of matchup problems they can cause you with their, their big 
big, huge kind of, they have these big, huge combo hybrid forward guard guys that, that can get in there and really cause damage. And Oregon state has a, a you know, a number of defenses then that, that uh, matched up pretty well against that. And then they, they kept it going. They have beaten Oregon during the regular season. They beat them again. And then they beat Colorado barely in the, you know, in the final game. And, and certainly they, you know, you know, there was, there were some close calls there, but that's the way it goes when, when something like that happens, of course. Bruce, uh, you know, when you look at this collection of teams from the Pac-12 in the tournament, USC, the West 6 seed, Oregon, the West 7, Colorado, the East number 5, Oregon State, we talked about Midwest 12, UCLA will play in the first four against Michigan State. That's kind of strange to say, uh, East 11. Wh- which ones of these do you think maybe have the chance to win a game or two or, or go deeper than that here? Um, I mean, I think pro- I still think probably Oregon's probably the best team overall. They they won the regular season. They're on a roll, except for losing to Oregon State, which you know really you know they they've had problems with them. That wasn't uh, too huge a surprise. I think you know Oregon kind of they had two COVID pauses. Uh, they sort of went under the radar at that point, uh, but they've really they won ten of eleven to finish the regular season, and uh, you know they've got everybody back. They've got you know uh, uh, you know the, uh, a team that's really better as the season's gone on, as they typically do get better. Um, they've got a couple of really good guards, uh, Will Richardson and Chris Duarte, and then uh, some of the the fours they have are just big guys you know, that, uh, that they can, they can pull you outside or they can, they can go inside on smaller guys and it really cause a lot of matchup problems with, uh, with them, the guys, LJ Figure Figueroa and, mm-hmm. uh, Eugenio Murray, just really, uh, really, really guys that, that cause a lot of headaches, I think. So, so they, they, I, I kind of think them, um, you know, it's, it was interesting to me that, uh, Colorado, I think was at Georgetown. I think I don't have my sheet in front of me, but, you know, a lot of the national commentary was all Georgetown, Georgetown, Georgetown. But, you know, Colorado's also been a little under the radar. They're very veteran. They uh, they have a, a really good guard, McKinley Wright, who, uh, you know, has been around for a long time. He's been starting. He's a four-year starter, basically. Um, you know, they, they have really good shooters. They were leading the country in free throw shooting. Ironically, they lost to uh, Oregon State when they, I think they were, I don't know, they missed six or seven free throws when they mm-hmm. hadn't been, you know, they were on pace to set the record for free throw shooting. And so that was really a surprise if that, you know, assuming that that was a one-off, uh, they could really be dangerous as well. Bruce, what do you, what do you see the future for Arizona basketball? Uh, obviously everybody knows what's happened and gone on there. And uh, how's it look? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, it's been four years in a row, four springs in a row. Every, the question's been, is Sean Miller coming back? Uh, what's going on and here we are and uh i think the future is really hard to say i think the immediate future they've made it clear that they're going to stick with him you know unless he decides to leave on his own which it doesn't feel seem like he will or really has many options at this point until he gets some clarity on what this whole situation is um so they basically told him you know you're gonna coach out the final year of your contract um which is really obviously extremely unusual and awkward um you know, he's lucky in that he has most of his team probably going to come back. He's got three recruits that are still seem to be pretty committed. Um, so he doesn't really have to recruit much for this year's team. Maybe have one guy and he could probably get a grad transfer who's not really worried about past one year. But it's going to really hurt, um, you know, trying to recruit the 22s and 23s in high school this summer because you know I don't know what he's going to tell them. 
So, but that, that's, that's kind of where they're at. And, and there's a big conflict here about whether, you know, if, if you make a change, how difficult is it going to be to start over? Um, you know, but there's also the thought that, you know, if they don't make a change, um, you know, they might get another year or two of postseason ban, you know, who knows how difficult it could be at that point. And, and, you know, the, the big X factor is what do the presidents and the regions and some of the key money boosters really want to happen here. And, you know, so far that's been a little hard to read, but it does appear that the president mostly supports him, but, uh, but can't get a contract extension at this point, which makes sense because they've got five level one allegations they're facing right now. One of which is involving, you know, academic misconduct, uh, you know, and then uh, another one was a cover up for a loan. Uh, there was, uh, and then of course there's the stuff that we all heard about in the FBI where the one assistant book Richardson went to jail for. So there's a lot of things there that uh, the NCAA has to sort through and, and it's been delayed further by Arizona requesting that it goes to this new independent process. So that that's put it off for another six months. And, you know, the most interesting thing the university president said last week was that he hasn't even heard from the IRAP yet. So, and that, that process was moved three months ago. So if they haven't even contacted Arizona yet, it, it may not have moved an inch in the last three months. So who knows when it's going to get done. So it's really, really cloudy and uh, hard to tell what's going to happen, but that's, that's been the case going on for, for four years now. Bruce, before I let you go, uh, got any final four picks or sleeper picks uh, in this upcoming tournament? You know, it's it's funny. I'm so focused on the the West Coast teams and the Pac-12 teams. It's it's really, you know, hard for me to 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 make a guess that way about the rest of the country. I mean, I do vote in the top 25, and I keep an eye on that. Um, you know, but uh, but I don't really. I think this year it's just been you know, it's just been such a weird year and you almost, you know, whereas you're usually looking at matchups and maybe experience level heading into the tournament this year, you're looking at COVID and how teams are, are they close to a pause? Cause we all know most of the times teams come up pause, they're not doing that well. Uh, they take a while to get the rhythm back. And you know, that, that's the key. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of like, um, I'd say probably, you know, I, I think, you know, BYU is kind of one team that struck me that a lot of people aren't talking about that, you know, they, even though they didn't really show it in the end, but they really gave Gonzaga a big scare the other night in we the did. WCC. I think, you know, they, they were really well coached. They've got some veteran guys too, you know, but, um, you know, I think the two Pac-12 teams I talked about, Oregon and Colorado could as well, but, uh, but it, it, it'd be hard for me to be a reach to, you know, elsewhere around, around the country. Well, Bruce, we uh, really appreciate the time as always, and I hope we can catch up with you again down the road. Uh, enjoy the tournament and all the best to you and your family. Sure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, buddy. That is Bruce Pascoe. Uh, he covers Arizona, has for many years, and covers the Pac-12 for Blue Ribbon, and as Chris talked about, does a, a great job. So I enjoyed catching up with him, seeing what's going on with that league, and also with Arizona, which is uh, self-imposing a tournament ban this season. They likely would have made it. And also, you wonder what happens next with Sean Miller, who is uh, coming up to the end of his contract very soon. So things to watch there for a program that's been a really good one for a long time. Well, Chris, that'll do it for uh, this edition of, of our podcast. Uh, some great guests, as always. Chris knows everybody, so uh, we're able to always get terrific guests. But enjoy the tournament and uh, looking forward to seeing what's in store for us as a thing that gets, gets started here on Thursday. Yeah, I, 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 I hate, like we talked about, I, I hate that your boys, the Belmont Bruins, didn't make it. I thought they had a team that was capable of getting to the Sweet 16, maybe. 
but there's going to be some upsets. My my upset special, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I've got Ohio over Virginia. Bruce talked about that COVID pause. Uh, yeah. Teams and Ohio's got a great guard, an NBA type player, and uh, actually we've got a story on Ohio on uh, our newsletter, blueribbon.substack.com. So check it out. Man, it, it the upsets to me are always so hard to pick because you can go through and, and say, oh yeah, yeah, that looks like a, a great upset pick, and then then the team that's supposed to win and winds up winning by fifteen or twenty points. Um, I, I always stay pretty chalky when it comes to making picks in these things because usually after an upset or two shake out in the first round it all starts to kind of settle in and go a little more uh, might, like you might expect because you know once you get past like the the two versus 15 or three versus 14 the teams are really a lot more even than the seeds show and that's one thing about this tournament that I've noticed over say the last 20-25 years is how much more difficult the second round games have become for the first and second seeds. Usually, if you had a one or a two, it's pretty much a cakewalk to the second weekend. That is not the case anymore and hasn't been the case for a long time. No, you're right. And, and there's, there's, I'll, I'll, I'll let, I'll, I'll leave you with these three things that I always look at if I'm picking upsets. One, momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, does the, the lower seeded team come, or the higher seeded team come into it with momentum, maybe having one, a conference tournament in dramatic fashion. Two, uh, does the, the higher-seeded team have a quality big man? Which, again, I bemoan the loss of Belmont because they did have a big man who could guard a power conference's big man single cover, uh, which evens out the playing field. And two, uh, do you shoot the three ball? Do you rely on the three ball? Or are you adept at shooting the three ball? Uh, because that is the great equalizer, as we've all seen. So uh, if you can figure out all three of those things, <laughs> that's usually how I go with my upsets. But sometimes I just say, ah, what the heck, and just plug it in. It's not like I'm betting my, my right. house on it. So, uh, not, don't bet anything on it, actually. No, but, uh, that's not my uh, thing either. Yeah, I, I was, I was kind of scrolling through them here real quick as we were talking. And, and to, to pick like a non-power conference double-figure seed to win, the one that stands out that I think might be a problem is Liberty against Oklahoma State. They are hard yeah. to play against. Just the way Richie McKay and that defense works, I, I don't know that they'll win, but, but I think that team could be a problem for uh, Kate Cunningham and the Cowboys, so we'll see how it goes. But it, it's going to be exciting. Looking forward to, to things getting started this week. First four on Thursday, and then the rest of it really gets rolling. All different venues around the state of Indiana, which will be cool to see. Chris, uh, I enjoy doing the podcast with you as always. Thanks for getting our terrific guest, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, buddy. See you then. All right. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.